Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. But we are in fact starting a new series today on timing. We've got a sweet graphic for it. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Uh, I would say that I worked very hard on this graphic. That's not a graphic. That's a blue screen. That's your imagination. You can imagine what a graphic on timing would look like. Uh, but we are starting a series on timing because they say, let me know when it's behind me. You can give me like a thumbs up. I'll just keep on talking. They say that timing is everything. Has anyone heard that? Yeah, that's good. You're not making a liar of me. Uh, and, and last week, I, I actually, I got a text. Can I share a quick story with you? It's a lie that it's quick, and it's a lie that it's one story. There's many stories, right? But there will be some scripture too. Uh, we mainly believe that God is most important to listen to, not me, but also I hold the microphone, so uh, you indulge me for a moment, right? Uh, but I got a text a couple of weeks ago uh, saying, someone wants to transfer you $4,000. There you go. That's our timing. Isn't that a great graphic? Yeah? I just wanted to apologize for any of us who struggle with getting up in the morning. Seeing something like that might give you a little bit of PTSD. Uh, not all of us are like Tim. Tim just gets up in the morning, apparently, without any, like, he's just bolt upright. He just, he's awake when he wakes up. That's not been my experience, and I pray that God would gift me with that grace in Jesus' name. Uh, but my children have robbed me of any ability to open my eyes immediately in the morning, right? But don't snooze. Anyway, uh, so, so I got a text last week saying, someone wants to give you $4,000, which, you know, I think any of us, if you got a text like that, would be like, ah, oh, tell me more, right? Like, I, I, if someone, I, I'm interested in getting $4,000. If someone wants to give me $4,000, I fairly quickly figured out that this is a scam. Like, it's a phishing scam trying to get some details from me. If it wasn't, if that was you and you were trying to give me $4,000, just let me know and we'll figure out a way to, to do it. That's totally fine. Uh, but, but it did start to get me thinking uh, about those sorts of stories of like unexpected windfalls of money. Yeah, has anyone seen or heard these kind of stories? Kind of the, like the investment stories and the, the antique sort of stories where maybe someone buys some shares. Maybe someone's parents bought some shares in a company and, and you know, they just, they go in a drawer or I'm, I'm showing my age there that you would put your share certificate in a drawer like my grandfather did or they go in your online thing or you bought some cryptocurrency to use like a, a current example I don't really understand. Uh, but, but anyway, you invested in something and then you kind of just forgot about it right? And, and time went by, and, and then one day you get a call. One day this person gets a call, and they say, hey, look, we're selling the company that you invested in, and, and maybe what you bought, you know, years and years ago for, for a couple of thousand dollars is now worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Or, or I love, you know, Antiques Roadshow. Any Antiques Roadshow fans in the building? Yeah? No, just me. That's fine, right? We can relate on something else. That, that's all right. I'll tell you about it. It's a great show, right? And, and these people kind of take like a teapot that they got given by their great-great-grandma, and they take it along. And what was an ordinary teapot, you know, 50, 60 years ago is now worth uh, the same amount as, as a car, which, which I find astounding, yeah? Because you can't drive a teapot to work, at least in my experience. And it's interesting because in each of these examples, I guess what I'm saying is something ordinary becomes extraordinary, and a big part of the reason why is timing. I, I think timing's, timing's important. You know, like we said, timing is, is everything. Maybe you're, not, maybe you're not agreeing with me quite yet. Maybe a, 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 an example that we can all relate to a little bit more is, is timing in church, yeah, it's important in church we have certain times to do things. You meant to welcome the visitors in the notices section of the service uh, and, and introduce yourself. But sometimes you do that later on in the service just to keep people on their toes. See, it wasn't a mistake. It was an analogy in my sermon. You see what I did there? 
Amazing. It's incredible. What communication skills. Right? But, but anyone ever, ever found this? You're, you're in, in church, and maybe it's one of the fast songs, and, and you're clapping. Yeah? Everyone's experienced with clapping. And, and maybe someone within your earshot, they are also clapping. But maybe, maybe they've decided to go with a bit of like a jazz clap, yeah? Like maybe you're meant to clap on the one and the three, and they're, they're kind of just clapping, they're clapping on the two and then on the five, and you're like, I don't know where you found a five, because I'm pretty sure this is in 4-4 four, four time, but, you know, you do you, man. And some of you are like, no, I've never experienced that. I've, I've always, you are that person. You're the person who's always clapping, you know. I don't want to say there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. You're welcome to worship God however you, you would like. Uh, tambourine section and, and the, the flags are in the car park, and you're welcome to them, right? It's not true. You can, you can have some tambourines at the back. We're all right with it. I love a good tambourine. Flags, you know, we'll talk about it. But timing timing's important, yeah. But I, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've found that timing can be hard. Yeah, that timing in church, clapping on the beat, we can train ourselves to do that. I, I actually grew up without any sort of timing, and I still have no sort of timing. So, you know, there's, there's hope for some people, less so for maybe if you're rhythmically challenged like myself. But the timing can be hard, but I find even harder than timing, or the hardest type of timing, is waiting. And in fact, today, if you're taking notes, I've titled this talk, The Wait. Because if we're going to start talking about timing, I find that the hardest timing is, is when I'm waiting. In fact, I, I don't know about you, I, I find that I don't really even feel like I, I'm aware of the passing of time until I have to wait. Yeah, like a day can be going by perfectly normal, and then all of a sudden you encounter something in which you have to wait, and the minutes just seem to stop. Yeah, the day was just clicking by, going away, and then all of a sudden the minute becomes an an hour. Does anyone else here struggle with waiting a little bit, or are in the room of some patient saints? All right, that's good. You're a little bit like me. Uh, I, I must be honest, I, I used to think of myself as a fairly uh, patient person, and then I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, uh, which is a great book. I, I wholeheartedly recommend it, as long as you're willing to have a little bit of how you relate to the idea of patience and hurry challenged. And, and in it, he, he gives some examples of living a hurried life in ways in which maybe we don't think that we're hurried. Yeah, and, and probably the, the number one example that he gave that really landed in my heart and made me feel uncomfortable uh, was he, he mentions our relationship with speed limits. Now, I'm not, I don't speed, right? I just want to say that up the front. I, be, I believe in, in following the law. I don't, I don't speed. I don't get white line fever. But what I do struggle with is when I'm going or I'm wanting to go the speed limit and the car in front of me isn't. Anyone relate to that feeling? Like you're in a 50 and the person in front of you is going like 35 or 40. Now I understand the speed limit is not a target, right? I'm not encouraging anyone to race. Irresponsible driving is important. But I'm like, come on, like at least it's not a target, but it's a recommendation. Like you could just, just go a little, all of a sudden what felt like a normal speed, I'm like, I'm pretty sure if I got out and walked, I'd be going faster. Yeah, like when people don't obey the speed limit, especially when people go too fast, I'm like, it's just dumb, that's silly. But when people don't go fast enough and I'm stuck behind them, something in me just gets irritated. It just gets, it gets grumpy. Does anyone, anyone relate? No, that's right. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, yes, yes. Some of us said yes a little bit too loud. Uh, we might start an equipper's, an equipper's defensive driving course where we can just talk about some of the proper things to do. Uh, if anyone uh, drives a truck or a van for us and said yes loudly, can you just see me after the service? That'd be, uh, we'll just have a quick chat. But I, I think that, that speed can be a form of control, can't it? You know, I, I, I find that if I can control the speed and the pace of my life, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel safe. And, and, and I, I find that there is something about waiting 
that, that reminds me that I'm not fully in control, that I can't make things happen when I want to make things happen. It reminds me that I'm a part of something bigger, that there is a larger story at play that, that I don't call all the shots. And, and so I don't know about you, but I find that so often when I encounter a moment to wait, what I do is I try and distract myself. Yeah, think of the last time maybe you're in like a, a doctor's office or, you know, you encounter some sort of wait. You're at the, the, the airport and you're waiting for a plane. If you're anything like me, the first thing you do is you pull out your phone, right? And you can just kind of distract yourself through the wait. Maybe even as I said that, you've had that little tingle in your pocket of like your phone being like, pay me attention, play with me. Do you know the, the, uh, the average iPhone user that's been found touches their phone 2,617 times in a day. You know, I think we live in a society which is, which is obsessed with always being distracted, always being entertained. We've done everything that we can to eliminate waiting. I was saying to Em the other day, I can't wait till, till uh, there are self-driving cars, right? Because like my only downtime in the day is when I'm in a commute and maybe you're in traffic and you can listen to a podcast or whatever, but I want to be doing like emails, I want to be productive all the time. And I was like, man, it'll be so great when I just get in my self-driving car and the car drives me to work and I can just work in the car and I can get out of the car and then I can work and I can just always be doing something. And then I look back on that, I was like, man, that would be cool. But also, isn't it, isn't there something wrong inside of us that, that every moment of downtime of waiting, we want to eliminate? And so my question is, in an age of distraction and instantaneous, how do we wait well? You know, maybe, maybe not just in the waiting rooms or the lines at the supermarket, although I think how we engage in waiting in those places is more important than we think, but also in the big waits. What do we do with our deferred hopes? What do we do with our on-hold dreams? What do we do with our one-day pondering. See, our faith has a long, long history of waiting. For hundreds of years, it was promised that a, a Messiah would come that would free, that would save the Jewish people. And, and, and so they waited and they waited. In fact, people's whole lives, their whole professions, everything of who they are in this Jewish society was wrapped up in asking, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who will come to save us? And so with that in mind, I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 2. But before we do that, why don't you bow your heads with me and um. And let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. God, we thank you so much for, for this time together. God, as we ask, how do we wait well in a, in a society, in a moment in time in which waiting is all but eliminated, in which waiting is, is a dirty word, something we don't want to do? God, we ask the question, is there something of you in the wait? Is there something that we can learn from you? Is there something that you want to build in us in the waits, not just the, the small everyday waits, but the big heavy weights as well. God, I pray that today it would not be my words, it would not be my ideas, but that you would speak, that you would be glorified, that we would leave here encouraged, knowing what you're calling us to do and being empowered to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, like I said, we're going to start today by looking at, at Luke chapter 2, and I want to look at a particular character in the Bible that maybe you haven't looked at a whole lot before named Simeon. Quick hands up if you like Simeon. I know who Simeon is. Right, we're not speaking of Simeon Tukadavalu, who's up in, in Auckland, I'm speaking of Simeon in the Bible, right? But Simeon, uh, we, we find him in Luke chapter 2, and, and I would suggest that we, we all know kind of the start of Luke chapter 2. Chances are you've read it around about Christmas time. It says this, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census, 
And then we stop reading the Bible there because the baby comes and the shepherds comes and, and, and then we have Christmas and then it's, it's over and we're launching further into the book and, and reading about the wonderful things that Jesus did, yeah? But there's an interesting story a little bit further on in this chapter in Luke that, that I'd love to read today. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 21 to 32. It, it says this, eight days later when the baby, that's Jesus, was circumcised, he was named Jesus. I, I told you it was Jesus. Uh, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. So here we have Simeon, and, and he's an old, old man, right? And, and he's been told by God that he won't die until he's seen the promised Savior, this, this Messiah to come, which is a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to die until I get to see the Messiah coming who's going to save the world. So essentially, you're not going to die until you see the best thing happen. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get to see all the best thing, but you're kind of like, okay, I can die knowing that the world is being set right. That's a, that's a great place. But, but let's not forget how this all starts, kind of what he thinks or what in the time that they're living in, they think that the world needs saving from. At that time, the Roman emperor was Augustus, and he declared that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Right? These are not Roman people. These are Jewish people living in the Roman Empire, enslaved. Yeah, they, they are not free. They are occupied. And so one day when God says to Simeon, go to the temple, I have a surprise for you. Simeon walks into the temple expecting to see the one who's going to save them all. This is the context of the situation. Yeah, we, kinda, we understand that. They're living occupied. They're expecting a savior, a Messiah. And so Simeon walks into the temple looking for this promised Messiah. Now, I have to be honest, if, if I was Simeon, I would be walking into the temple expecting to see someone big. Yeah, like I, would, I would walk into the temple expecting to see someone whose arms were the size of my legs, or maybe the size of someone who has bigger legs than me, because my legs aren't that big. I, I would walk in expecting to see someone who was, who was tall, who was built, preferably, you know, handsome, just because it, it kind of goes with the storytelling. It's, it's not necessary, but at least really big and able to, to kind of fight off a whole bunch of Romans, because they're going to bring deliverance. They're going to lead a, a revolution. If I was Simeon, I would walk into the temple looking for a warrior. But Simeon walks into the temple, and we can assume from the telling of the story that, that he walks in, and, and, and God's like there in the corner. He's like, I, I see a, a man. I see a lady. I see, I see a baby. Is it the man? It's going to be hard to lead a revolution with a, a young baby, but if that's a, no, no, no. It's not the man. It's not the lady. Well, there's no one else in the corner. It's the baby. See, if I was Simeon and I walked into the temple looking for a warrior and was pointed towards a baby, I, I think I'd feel a little bit confused, yeah? Let me, let me use an analogy that's, uh, that's close to my heart. Is that all right? 
It's good. I love lasagna. Anyone, anyone else love, love lasagna? Yeah? That's good? That's good? It's a bit of a change, eh, from talking about Jesus, Savior of the world, to lasagna. They're fairly similar in, in my heart. I love Jesus, and then I love my family, and then I love lasagna. That's the order that I have. Uh, and, and so I love lasagna, right? And um, Em is, is in Sparks today, serving there. But Em, if you're listening, I love lasagna, right? That's just, uh, just letting her know. And if one day... Em decided from her abounding love for me that she wanted to make lasagna for our family for dinner. You might be asking, Jono, why can't you make yourself lasagna? That's an unimportant part of the story, right? And Em decided she wanted to make lasagna as an act of love for the family. And, and, and so she told me, and I was like, oh, that's fantastic, babe, you know, whatever. I can make it. No, no, you want to make it? Okay, that's fine. I would have made it. And then I came to dinner, and I sat down at the dinner table, and in front of me was like a box of, of sheep pasta, and some uncooked mints, some, 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 some onions, some, some tomatoes maybe, right? Some cheese, some, some other important things that you put in lasagna. Again, I said I like eating lasagna. I'm not an expert at making lasagna. I'd be like, what have I done, what have I done wrong? Like, why, or, or, I, I don't understand. You, I, I thought we were having lasagna for, for dinner. And he was like, yeah, lasagna's in front of you. Like, well, I mean, that, that could be. That has the potential to be lasagna, Right? But it's not, it's not currently lasagna. Like I couldn't, I couldn't eat this now. It could be lasagna one day, but, but it's not yet. If I was Simeon, this is how I'd feel. Yes, if you're wondering, I did just compare Jesus to lasagna is what just happened in that moment. But yeah, I see this baby in the temple and this baby could grow to be someone amazing. This baby could do incredible things. But at the moment, he's just a baby. See, I read this story and I wonder how old would Jesus have to be for me to be on board? If I was Simeon and I walked into the temple and I see this baby, would I be able to take him into my arms and declare, God, I have seen your salvation? How would I react? Because I've found, if I'm honest, in my life, often I think I need a warrior. I need a ready-to-go solution, a finished product. And so often in my life, when I think I need a warrior, God shows up with a baby. See, my first point today, if you're taking notes, is can we join God in the infancy? Can we join God in the infancy, or do we require a finished product? Because if we're honest, I think for us, this again, it all boils down to control, right? Isn't it funny how many things boil down to control? If we go back one chapter to Luke chapter 1, we, we read of two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And now, now Zechariah is, is a priest, and he's been doing a good job as a priest. It, it says that he obeys all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And then one day, it's his, it's his turn to go into the temple, into the kind of innermost of the temple, to burn the incense. And so Zechariah does what he's meant to do. He goes into the innermost of the temple, and he burns the incense. And in that moment, in this holy place, an angel appears. And and Zechariah is overwhelmed. He's freaked out, which is fair enough, right? Again, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, everyone who sees a Bible, uh, sees an angel in the Bible is is a little bit alarmed. And and the angel says to him, God has heard your prayer. See, him and his wife, Elizabeth, they don't have any children and they've been praying for a child. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you were to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And then Simeon respond, uh, sorry, Simeon, Zechariah responds to the angel. He says, are you sure? Because my wife and I are really, really old. See, my second point today, if you're taking notes, is, is I think so often what we try and do is, is do we try and tell God how things work? 
I want you to wonder for a moment, you know, engage your imagination. Can you imagine the angel? Like, here's the angel. He's appeared in the temple. He's got this exciting message for Zechariah. He brings it. Zechariah's freaked out. He's like, hey, calm down. It's all right. You know, every time I have to do this thing, relax. God's heard your prayer. What you've been hoping for is going to come to pass. And then Zechariah's like, no, no, but we're really old. The angel's like, what? No one told me that. You're old? Oh, shucks. What am I going to do? God told me to go and I guess God didn't. I guess God doesn't know. I guess God, creator of the heavens and the earth. I guess God, sustainer of the world. I guess God, author and finisher who knit you together, let alone the baby that we're talking about in your mother's womb. I guess he wasn't aware. He didn't keep up. He got distracted by something else happening. He doesn't realize that you're really old. I'll go tell God that it's not going to work. He will have to do something else. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Does Zechariah think that God has lost track of the situation? But I find it interesting because how often do we do that? Right? God is doing something and, and all we can seem to think is like, oh God, but I'm old. God, but look at the obstacles. Look at the reasons that it's not going to work. I don't see how this is going to come about. All we can see is that Jesus is a baby and babies don't lead revolutions. I guess what I'm asking is, have you ever identified a little bit more with Zechariah than you do with Simeon? It's interesting that the, the angel then answers Zechariah in, in verse 19. The angel then says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. I like that the angel's got like a tone. And he's like a little bit sassy. Like, you listen here, Zechariah. Like, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know what you're talking about. And then he says, but now... Right, like there's, there's, some, there's some attitude there, I enjoy it. He says, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. Really what they were worried about is, has he dropped dead? Because that happens sometimes. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized that from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's weeks of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Now we read this, and I don't know quite how you feel. Maybe you're like, yeah, serves you right, Zechariah. You shouldn't back chat an angel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to my kids when they ask me why, right? Like, don't ask me why. Look, Zechariah asked why, and he got made silent. So you just do what Dad says. That would be abusing Scripture, and I would ask you not to do it, please. Maybe you read this and you feel a little bit, a little bit ripped off for Zechariah. Like, well, come on, like, it's a fair question. He's really old and, and they don't have any old friends who are having babies. Why wasn't he allowed to have doubts or, or ask questions? And then that can feel like it puts us in an impossible situation, doesn't it? Well, I guess, I guess I only need to have faith. I only need to be 100% sure 100% of the time, and I never need to worry or wonder or doubt. But that's not the case, and it's really important that we don't misread one account here and, and take from it a theology that, that, that counters whole other books of the Bible. Yeah, that, that counters the Psalms and, and Lamentations in which doubt and uncertainty are expressed to God. You know, I, I love the account in Mark chapter 9 of a father who brings a child to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus says to him, all things are possible if you believe. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, God, I want to believe. I want to believe that you can do this. But also there's a thing in me that I'm working on but hasn't quite come around, which is really unsure if this is all going to work out. And I think so much of life is holding the two in balance. 
saying, God, I want to have faith. I want to be a person of faith. I want to believe. I'm not going to kind of lift up my doubts and magnify them, but also I have my doubts and I have my concerns and I have my, my wonderings and I'm not sure how this is all going to be and we can bring it to God. But in contrast to the man in, in Mark chapter 9, Zechariah asks, how can I be sure this will happen? See, Zechariah is not just expressing doubts and concerns. He's looking for certainty, and certainty is control. He's trying to eliminate the wait. Because when you know what's coming, it doesn't really feel like you're waiting in the same way. Yeah, anyone ever found the car trip to somewhere when you don't know quite when you're going to arrive feels much longer than the car trip back? When you know how long it's going to take, when you can see, oh yeah, and I know around this bend, then 20 minutes further, then we're going to turn a left, and, and then we're going to get there, it feels much much easier than just being in the car for forever. At some stage, we're going to arrive, and it could be in a minute, or it could be in an hour, and I've got no idea. Zechariah is trying to eliminate the uncertainty, and that's why he was silenced. Not just because he's trying to eliminate the uncertainty, but also because of the situation in which he exists. See, Elizabeth, his wife, is Mary's cousin, Mary, mother of Jesus, and Mary is going to go and stay with Elizabeth while, while she's pregnant. And so Elizabeth is going to be pregnant with John while Mary is pregnant with Jesus, right? This child, John, is John the Baptist. And so Mary, in the middle of a season of massive stretch and trust, didn't need Zechariah walking around being like, are you sure that, that, that that's Jesus? Are you, are you sure you and Joseph didn't get a little bit too friendly? Are you sure that the Son of God is coming to you? How are you certain? What did God do to show you? And so God's like, no, no, we need, to, we need to remove that from the equation. We cannot be looking for certainty because the truth is you can't be certain. So my third and, and final point as I get the band up, we're almost done, is that in the wait, we have the chance to trust. So the question I began with today was how do we wait well? And, and, and I think we need to see waiting as not just something to get through, not just something to, to tolerate, not just something to suffer through until it's over, but, but to transform how we see waiting into seeing it as an opportunity, to viewing our waiting as a chance to trust God, to bring Him our hopes and our fears, but to resist the ache for certainty, the ache for controlling the situation, to not be so close-minded as to only think that it could work how we imagine it to work, but to instead be able to see salvation in the baby. See, today, if, if I was to sum up this message, I would simply put my three points together and ask this. Can we join God in the infancy, or do we try and tell God how things work? Because in the wait, we have the chance to trust. See, waiting is hard. I'm not trying to take that away. I'm not trying to say that, that if you just view waiting in this three simple tips that, you know, life hack, waiting will be really easy. You'll never, you'll never, it'll never bother you again. That's not the way it works. Timing is, is everything, but waiting is hard. And yet we are awaiting people. We are a people who, who live in the almost but not yet, who live in the completed work of the cross and are still involved in the outworking of God's mission. We are awaiting people. We are a people who know that God has won the victory, and yet we are still a part of Him outworking that victory here on earth. And most likely, if you're in the room today, you have something you're waiting on, some aspect of the kingdom of heaven that you would like to see established on earth. Right, maybe it's an opportunity. 
Maybe it's a, a place you'd like to see God move. Maybe it's something much more dear to you. Maybe it's someone who, who you know God is after their heart, that, that He wants to draw them close to Him, and yet you know that they don't trust God as their Savior yet. Maybe it's something that's broken in the world that you are longing, waiting for it to be made right, a healing, a correction, a restoration, whatever it might be. And if you're not here today waiting, I want to say it's just a matter of time until we are waiting. We are awaiting people. We all wait. You know, the other side of a Sunday like we had a few weeks ago where we gather together and dream together is then we enter the wait. God, I want to see you make this happen. I want to see you do this. I want to become this sort of a person. But it doesn't happen overnight. And so we step into the waiting. So how do we wait well? Well, what if we saw waiting as an opportunity, not just something to suffer through, but a chance to trust God? In a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song. It takes its lyrics from, from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says this, Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on, I say, if we take all that away, those that wait, they that wait upon the Lord, where are you waiting? You know, today your waiting doesn't have to be wasted or tolerated, but today we can embrace the wait. We can embrace the chance to build patience. We can em embrace the chance to trust. It doesn't mean that what you want on the other side of the wait, you want it any less, but it transforms the way that we wait. Church, can I invite you to stand to your feet? The band's gonna lead us in a song. It's a song that we haven't sung before, but, but the lyrics are simple. And, and I would present to you the opportunity to use it as a prayer, to embrace these lyrics as a declaration to ourselves and to our situation, to our wait. That while we're waiting, it's not wasted. That while we're waiting, it's, it's not simply tolerated, but we are waiting on God. And we can wait on God because of what we know He's done, what we know He's doing, and what we know that He's going to do. And we can choose in the wait to build something in us that this won't be wasted, but this will be a season in which something in us is formed that we look back on and say, I would never have chosen to wait, but because I had to, God, I learned to trust you in a new way. God, I learned to lean into you in a new way. God, I didn't, I didn't come into the place of thinking that, that getting that was gonna make all of my life right, but, but I realized that this was a thing and, and things are good and, and it was an opportunity and it was a healing and, and it's a good thing to want, but ultimately more than any of that, I want you. Come on, as the band leads us, I would just encourage you. Could this be our prayer? That we would wait on God. That we would believe He can move. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.